You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, God's grace always catches up with you wherever you're at. I love what Josh is doing, uh, doing an incredible job. Can we give them another round of applause just for their great work? Yeah. Hey, my name's Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here. So glad to be with you guys this morning. I love my job because it connects me with people. Uh, my dad uh, always told me as a, as a kid, Ryan, one of the greatest things you can ever do in life is to invest in the life of people. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about investing uh, in people and how God's grace does that. Uh, it causes us to want to invite people in. Um, this morning, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. John chapter 1, uh, verses 35 through 46 is where we're going to be looking And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and how he called his first disciples, and then they turn around and they invite other people in. And so this morning, we're going to look at how God's grace compels us to invite other people to know and to follow Jesus Christ. Um, Years ago, I've told you my story a bunch of times, um, my stretch of uh, deep rebellion was the age of 13 to about 18 years old. And uh, on that journey of life between those years were some of the darkest and the most painful and the hurtful times of my life. And there was a guy by the name of Mark DeMoz who was a youth leader uh, at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, that constantly reached out to me and invited me in. And if you feel on the outsides of the Christian community, you need guys like Mark to invite you in. My hope is, is over the years uh, in the time here in North Valley, that uh, as you experience God's grace, your invitation to people just kind of flows out spontaneously and constantly. Um, I, I texted Mark this morning. I said, hey, Mark, are you preaching this morning? He said, no, I'm attending my church. He planted a church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He said, no, I'm attending. What's up? I said, hey, I'm preaching on the importance of how God's grace calls us to invite people in. I was wondering if you could let the church know why in the world did you invite me consistently back in? I heard the gospel message over and over and over again. And finally, one day it clicked when I was 18 years old. But Mark didn't stop letting up. He texted me this about the importance of inviting. He says, as pastors or ministry leaders and Christians in general, we must look beyond what is is to what can be. We must not see others for simply who they are in the moment, but for who God has made them and intends them to be in the future. That's exactly what I did with you. I realized you had a lot of, he, he says, he told me, uh, he goes, I realized you had a lot of problems and you were a problematic kid, but I saw you not simply for who you were. I saw you for who God could, could make you to become and be. He goes on to say in this little text message, he says, uh, Only in recognizing the potential in an individual can we get past his or her current problematic behavior. Discipline 
as you must, uh, assuming responsibility in the moment, yes, but in so doing, seek more to make disciples for such reasons. It was easy to continue extending invitations and opportunities to Ryan, a problematic child in youth, but more importantly, as has now been revealed than a promising and now a powerful child of God. Um, that was the guy who invited me into church. Not into church simply, but into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The power of an invitation is so important. Uh, Christianity Today did an article about that very thing, the power of an invite. Christianity Today said this, the personal invitation is an effective, an effective way to break down any real or perceived barriers one might have to walking into a new church building or being willing to engage in a new circle of people. Knowing whose image each of us bear, we cannot afford to underestimate the power of a personal invitation. Whose image do we bear as Christians? The Bible says that we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That when we live, we share and show the love of Christ, we're reflecting the Father's love. We're reflecting the very love of Christ. Um, we can't underestimate that invitation. Um, you know, the reality is, is that there's a whole generation who's not going to respond to that invitation. Uh, research shows who's not coming unless we do something different. Most unchurched Americans are millennials. That's anybody born between 1980 and 2000. Churches that don't focus on reaching a younger generation don't have a future. Uh, and younger, the, the generation behind uh, the millennials and uh, younger uh, aren't coming to church or coming to know Jesus and follow Jesus either. Uh, not near as many as the older. Nearly six out of ten young people who grow up in Christian churches end up walking away. That's a lot of young people. Walk away from the faith. The unchurched segment among millennials has increased in the last decade from 44 to 52%. So each, each uh, season and each decade, there's a, a, a greater sense of urgency for the church to constantly reach the next generation. Every generation has a responsibility to uh, share and show the love of Jesus Christ to friends and neighbors. Uh, the bottom line is, is that older generations, in America at least, are more faithful to gather in churches and the younger generations are not. It's, the, it's a great responsibility as a church member and a great opportunity to invite others to know and to follow Jesus. That's the one relationship that we can't afford to miss out on. How do people experience the grace of God? They need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know them, and, and, and they're not, we're not inviting people to just some uh, building or to some organization or to some uh, conglomerate of unknown people. We're inviting people into a community, a family. Um, those of you that are neighborhood group leaders, let me assure you of this. You have an absolute responsibility to be inviting other people in all the time. Uh, if you're a member of this church, you have an absolute responsibility, and it's a great opportunity invite people into relationships. This church is a, 
a, a relational family, and we must continue to seek to be so, and ever so more important for us to invest into our youth in the following years ahead. Uh, Michael Green, a historian, uh, said this uh, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church. Notice how the early church operated. He says, Christianity was supremely a lay movement, meaning not professionals, not paid staff. It was a movement among ordinary people to spread by informal missionaries the spontaneous outreach. That's not systematic, that's spontaneous. That's how the Holy Spirit moves in the life of a believer. You're just sitting there with a friend, and when you get that prompting, this person has got to hear about what God's doing at, at, at church, or this person's got to hear about how good God has been in that person's life at a, a testimony. That's the, the Holy Spirit trying to work through you in a spontaneous moment. He goes on to say, the spontaneous outreach of total Christian community gave immense impetus to, to the movement from the very outset. It's incredibly important as we consider um, how grace moves us beyond ourselves to invite other people in. Uh, this morning, you're going to get the chance to hear some of our, our youth leaders' uh, story about how God used other individuals to invite them to know and to follow Jesus, and then they feel compelled to do the same thing in the younger generation. God's Word tells us how to invite others and how to know and to follow Jesus, how to make disciples. So this morning, if you would, uh, let's read uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46. It says, uh, the next day, uh, starting in verse 35, uh, there has been a series of events in Jesus' ministry where he's already been baptized by John the Baptist He's already uh, turned water into wine. He's uh, grown in his name and his reputation. And uh, the gospel writer records a series of events of the daily ministry and life of Jesus. And we're going to see how Jesus calls his disciples and invites others. And then how those disciples in turn spontaneously invite others in. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with the two of his disciples and, when he, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, 
come and see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the glimpse of, to the life and the person and the work of Jesus and the model and the paradigm that we can gather about extending that grace to others through a simple invitation. May you use this time to encourage and exhort us, God, uh, to become an inviting people, to know you and to follow you just like you did and just like the disciples. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's work back through the, the text for a few moments, and I want to give you some uh, practical application along the way. Look at uh, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. This is the, the interesting uh, figure uh, dressed in camel's hair, a loudmouth preacher, uh, declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Uh, he was baptizing in the Jordan River. Jesus is going to be, he is baptized by this gentleman, and he's got a number of disciples. Disciples are learners. John the Baptist had a large amount of followers that were following him, and John was pointing towards Jesus as the new, uh, uh, as the long-awaited one, the one that deserved uh, people's following. And it says in verse 36, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So here are these disciples hanging out with John the Baptist, and Jesus walks up, and immediately they point, he points to Jesus and says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one uh, earlier, it says, he takes away the sins of the world. This got these guys' attention. And immediately, they follow after Jesus. They leave John the Baptist and follow Jesus. Verse 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He doesn't say, what, what do you want? He doesn't say, you're annoying me. You're bothering me. Why are you following me? I mean, imagine Jesus is just walking along. Somebody points out and says, behold, the Lamb of God. And then all of a sudden, uh, these people start following Jesus. They're, uh, Jesus looks over his shoulder and he doesn't say, what do you want? He says, what, what, are, what are you seeking? The, the, the deeper meaning in that phrase, what are you seeking, means something along the lines to, uh, what are you looking for in life? In the heart of every individual, there's a deep sense of longing and looking for God, our maker. And these guys were interested in Jesus because prophecies had been uh, given, predictions about a Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, notice the phrase, Rabbi, which means, it means one of honor, an honorable teacher, which means teacher, what are, where are you staying? In other words, they're so preoccupied, they've got so many questions that they can't just uh, ask Jesus a question as he's walking along. They need to know where he's at because they want to spend a lot of time with him. And look what Jesus says. First thing we're going to see is that uh, Jesus is going to invite the curious. And Jesus did. They're curious. These aren't convinced disciples. They're not hook, line, and sinker believing Jesus is everything who he says to be. Uh, they don't even understand fully who John the Baptist is calling him to be. They don't understand that, but they're curious. And Jesus meets them right where they're at and invites them. He said, verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. 
So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. That would have been 10 a.m. if the gospel writer is referring to the Roman official time. Uh, it had been early in the morning to about around 10 a.m. Here's the point I want to point out is people are often attracted to Christian community before they are receptive to the Christian message. They wanted time with Jesus, personal access. They say, where are you staying? They, they don't say, let, let, in other words, I need to spend a lot of time with you to understand. If we're going to do ministry the way Jesus did ministry, we need to uh, do what Jesus did. Jesus let them belong before they believed. These are not convinced or committed uh, uh, Christ followers yet. They're curious. Uh, they're skeptical. They're trying to understand who Jesus is and his message. It's interesting to me, though, Jesus says, come and you'll see. And what is their response? They follow him. They want to go with him. They're very, they've got a lot of questions. It's interesting when we make an invitation to unchurched friends and family members or people here at the church into a neighborhood group, sometimes we're surprised that people actually really want to be a part of a Christian community or uh, develop relationships. Christianity Today said this, in our post-Christian nation, people who are skeptical of the faith are often attracted to the Christian community before they're attracted to the Christian message. Therefore, introducing people into the relational network of a local church community becomes an important aspect of their journey of the faith. Um, sometimes people need to just belong before they believe. Uh, for you, as a neighborhood group, if you're a part of a neighborhood group, you need to invite people. Part of the spiritual formation of some people's growth is in context of a relational community. Uh, if you've been here at North Valley and this is your home, you need to understand you have a great opportunity and a great responsibility to invite others into your life. But look at the priority. Where do we start? Where do we start to invite people in to know and follow Jesus and be a part of a, a Christian community. I'd advocate that the most, the highest priority of invitations has got to be family first. Verses 40 through 42, um, it's what we see in the life of the early disciples. Look, verse 40. And one of the two who heard John, that is John the Baptist, speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So one of the guys hearing John speak about Jesus was Andrew and uh, the gospel writer records, this is Simon Peter's brother. Uh, it's interesting, uh, it's Simon Peter's brother. Andrew's kind of overshadowed by Peter because of his prominence uh, later in life and in ministry. Verse 41 says, he first, that's Andrew, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. When I first became a Christian, the very first person I reached out to was my younger brother, David. And then uh, I told David, I said, David, we've grown up around the church and around Christianity, but I don't think we've known Christ in Christianity. And uh, through that journey with my younger brother, uh, he and I grew in a love and a passion and a new uh, friendship that I never had before. And then uh, we did ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then from there... Um, we, I, I had the calling to go get more training, went down to Dallas Seminary and got out of Dallas Seminary and 
uh, sensed God's calling to go plant a church, and I invited my younger brother David. And David joined me, and uh, we planted this church together. Uh, you have a responsibility to your family. You have a great responsibility to your family. Uh, pray for them. Don't give up on them. Your, your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your aunts, your uncles. Um, in church growth uh, missiology, you need to understand kinship groups, relationship groups. Um, the gospel spreads the fastest through family. Because people believe you. Because they know you. Uh, the Christian movement is really a relational movement. It's not some highly organized marketing movement. It's a relational movement. Never give up praying. I had the great privilege to lead my uncle to Christ. He was a new ager and didn't come to faith in Christ until his 50s uh, when we started studying the Gospel of John together and uh, the other Gospels. And before he passed away, he couldn't hardly talk. And uh, I was reassured of his love and ferocious commitment to Christ. And he was looking forward to going home. Invite family first. 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. That's the largest impact you're going to have. Uh, we're going to see more research show that. But invite with an incredible faith belief that God's going to do something great in the life of people. Don't give up on people. Don't ever underestimate what God can do in the life of an individual. The third observation I want to point out is inviting others with a believing that God can do anything. Look what Jesus does. He, he sees that Andrew invited Simon, his brother. And Jesus looks at him, that's Peter, and said, Hey, you are Simon, the son of John. See, Simon, the son of John, this was, he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, or the rock. In Aramaic and in Greek, it means the rock. An unshakable character. Jesus saw Peter, not for who he was, but for who he was going to be and how God was going to do incredible things in his life. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he calls. I, I am not qualified to do this job at North Valley. Uh, I wake up every day and I'm thankful for the great opportunity that God's called me here because I have a great love for people and I want to see the North Valley uh, come to know Jesus and experience the grace of God because I know it heals marriages. I know it changes people's lives. I know it gives them a hope and a uh, future. And... Uh, but I sense God's qualifying me along the way. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he calls. Peter wasn't really qualified. He cussed like a sailor. He had a loud mouth. He had a temper. And Jesus is going to call him up. And then he's going to say, and your name's going to be the rock. I think Andrew's going, yeah, right. Seriously, my brother. God's going to use... What is calling? Calling starts with awareness. Uh, Andrew had an awareness about Jesus and shared that with Peter. And then it turned into a concern. Hey, uh, hey, Peter, we got to find Jesus. He's, he's the guy that we've been talking about. And then it moves to a conviction where you just know you got to go. You know you got to do it. 
Fourth observation I want to point out is that inviting others is to know Jesus. It's to follow Jesus. It's not inviting them to a building or a, a cause or a, a movement or to just a better life. It's inviting them to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, verse 43, that we read, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. This is another guy, friends with Andrew and Peter. And he says to Philip, this phrase that's been used 20-something times in the gospel, he says, follow me. What is the Christian life? Following Jesus. It's uh, day by day. It's kind of a mystical, uh, un, not entirely explainable. We're following Jesus. A disciple means a learner, means you spend your life living in faith. But you're following not a dead God, some historical, mythical figure. You're following a real person who is alive. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, Philip, follow me. That's the invitation that you and I get. That's the invitation that ultimately that we're doing when we talk about discipleship to other people. You're asking them to follow Jesus, to know him, to follow him. Uh, my uncle, back on my uncle, I talk about my family a lot because uh, as my, my good friend uh, Bill says, looking back over the years of ministry, the success and the trophies in life are really in the life of people. My great accomplishment was seeing my uncle come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when, that, when the family said goodbye, I knew that I had an, a part in his journey. Got him to read the Gospels, and I told him, follow Jesus. Don't look at it simply as literature, although it is. When you look at the Scriptures, don't look at, look at it as simply a historical context, although it is. Look to follow the person of Jesus. Fifth observation is this, is I want to encourage you to invite friends to come and see verses 44 and through 46. Philip uh, was from... Bethsaida, and that's a fishing town. A bunch of fishermen follow after Jesus. This is the city of Andrew, the same place where Andrew and Peter were from. They were all fishermen, had small business entrepreneurs. Um, in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. This is one of Philip's friends. And said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, that guy Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's really not impressed. Look what he says. And then Nathaniel said to him, hey, listen, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a uh, kind of like Hickville. It was a poor community. Um, wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, Nathaniel's not too impressed by uh, Joseph being a, a carpenter. Uh, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip is relentless to keep inviting Nathaniel. And he says to him, he doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't try to debate Nathaniel. He says, why don't you come and see who Jesus is? And Nathaniel later is going to be recognized as a true follower. 
Sometimes we start out skeptical or the people that we're inviting to come to know Jesus or your family members or friends start out incredibly skeptical or cynical. And a transformation occurs. Don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation to a friend to come and to see. 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit church. Why is church so important? It's because it's where you hear about Jesus. My hope and prayer is, is that you open your scriptures and you discover the daily walk with Jesus Christ through his word. Uh, Sunday ought to be an encouragement, a catalyst, and an exhortation for you to keep going on in your life. But the, the invitation of friends, we must invite our friends to know and to follow Jesus. So what's our next step? I want to encourage you to invite someone to join you as your guest in the journey of the Christian faith. It could be your neighborhood group. It could be just out to coffee. It could be, uh, it could be uh, just to spend time with and open the scriptures. See, it took my uncle three years of getting into the Gospels before he accepted Jesus Christ. That's a long time. Uh, he was what was called uh, like a, uh, a pluralistic, uh, um, I don't know, he, a spiritualist is what he liked to call himself. Uh, he believed in God, but he believed in all the gods and wanted, figured Jesus could just fit right up on the mantle with everybody else. And when he started reading the scriptures, he realized this is an invitation uh, above every other name, uh, Jesus, the true God. I want to encourage you to invite someone to join you as your guest, that you personally invite them, make them feel like they're in your home. The church should be like a home. And if this is a regular gathering place for you, which most of, it, it is, most of you it is, realize this is your church home. I could die and be gone tomorrow, and I assure you our leadership would make sure that the church just keeps on going on. And the, the health of this church would be really about the health of you. Uh, how you're going to uh, invest in the next generation to love and to reach out and to care for one another. I want to encourage you to invite someone to join you as your guest, trusting God will use it in their journey. Uh, to help illustrate this, I've asked Miles and Cameron, uh, our student leaders, uh, to come up and share with you how God's worked in their life. Uh, so would you give them a Nor oh, North Valley welcome for me? Okay, guys, so uh, Cameron, uh, tell us uh, who invited you to know and to follow Jesus? Man, every time I get asked this question, uh, it just takes me back because there wasn't just one single person who invited me to come to know Jesus. There was actually uh, several people uh, when I was lost in my darkness, didn't know Christ, you know, whether it was people walking up to me on the street asking me if I've ever read the Bible or whether it was another group of people walking up to me asking me if I needed prayer, or whether it was, uh, you know, people within a local church going out and giving invitations uh, for people like me, an unchurched person, uh, they asked me, they said, do you have a church family, and just the power of that invitation eventually um, got my attention, but I think of a man in specific, his name was uh, Tracy Schmidt, and this guy had no legs. He um, lost his legs 
escaping from an institution. You know, so this guy clearly had been changed by the love of Jesus because he's rolling around in a wheelchair saying, hey, Cameron, you got to get willing to lose your life to find it in your creator. And this guy, he uh, nonstop, day in and day out, would stop by my house and literally knock on my door and, and, and say, hey, Cameron, do you want to read the Bible? Hey, Cameron, do you want to go to church on Sunday? And eventually, just to get this guy off my back, I showed up at church, and that day I heard the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, and I gave my life to the Lord. And so just that power of, uh, of Tracy's invitation specifically and changed my and life. And you're still friends with Tracy today, yeah. isn't that right? Yeah, I would still consider him my spiritual mentor today. It's amazing how God can use somebody like a guy, a, a paraplegic, mm-hmm. uh, to make such an impact in a young man's life, yeah. uh, reaching out to you and doing that. And, it, yeah. it, and so he invited you numerous times. He didn't give up on me. And, um, yeah. you know, and that's part of what motivates me today with people that I've been inviting that haven't come to church yet. It's like there's such power in persistence, and I wouldn't have been here today had he not persistently pursued me in love. That's really cool. Well, uh, Miles, you've been uh, serving with our youth, uh, North Valley Student Ministries. Uh, Tell us kind of your story. Who invited you to know and and to follow Jesus? Uh, Well, I grew up in church. Started going to middle school. I grew up in a broken family, and my mom decided... Well, I'll take them to church because that's what good people do. So throughout middle school and high school, I was involved in church. Uh, I was never really invited to have a relationship with Christ. So I never did. And uh, as soon as high school ended, I decided to just take my own path because this wasn't helping me anyway. So started doing some stupid stuff, walking in dangerous places, and ended up just like Cameron in a dark place. And I had no idea where I was going. But my friend Tim Hubin, who was my best man in my wedding, uh, he just relentlessly pursued me. He became a pastor a few years after we got out of high school. Uh, And then when I was about 22 or 23, like Cameron, just to get him off my back, I was like, fine, I'll come back to church. And uh, a few months later, I gave my life to Christ and then started helping with his youth group. What do, you think, what do you think motivated him or compelled him to not give up on you? I mean, uh, it, it's absolutely the supernatural love that the Spirit gave him. Like, he just, he loved me, and I was like, come on, man, all I do is hurt your feelings and do stuff that you tell me not to do, but he just kept pursuing me and loving me. Yeah, I think that's so important as you grow in the greatness of God's grace, you experience that for yourself, and you realize... I'm not going to give up on this person. Uh, you might have family members or friends that kind of like cut people off and they're like, he's a lost cause. Don't ever, don't ever be that person. Always share about, like, look at the life of Peter. Like, this guy was headed in trouble. And Jesus immediately in seeing him says, I'm going to call you the rock. He speaks a word of hope and for his future too. So this guy reached out to you, relentlessly pursued you. So... Tell us, tell us why you have a relentless passion to invite young people to know and follow Jesus today. Well, I just look back at my own life, and I made pretty much every mistake I could make when I was in high school. And then after I got out, and it, it just led to a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of stuff that I didn't want to go through. And uh, I feel like now God's given me the opportunity to help young people avoid those mistakes and show them the right way 
so that they can avoid that pain and I can't pass that opportunity up. Yeah. And you're newly married and, uh, and, and Angie is an <laughs> awesome gal in our church and, and so um, you, you guys are doing this together too? You're, Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's really sweet. Okay, so uh, Cameron, tell us about you. Like what motivates you to invite others to be a part of kind of uh, experiencing God's grace? Man, uh, for me personally, I've truly tasted and seen that God is good. And um, the fact that he came after me through so many different resources uh, and so many different means, it, I can't help not to be moved by the love of Christ to, to at least attempt to reach out to the next generation. And what motivates me is when I drive down the street and I see uh, various different students carrying their backpacks on their backs, and it's almost like their face, it it tells a story of how much baggage they're carrying through life. And, um, you know, so many of them come from broken families. So many of them carry uh, deep and emotional and spiritual hurt, and they carry... um, secrets that they think that nobody will ever understand. And I think that the love of Christ and and just being available in their lives motivates me in order to uh, reach out to them in love. And you guys had a a pretty awesome moment at our grand opening when we baptized a number of people. You baptized some youth and got to see that, share about that experience just for a moment. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, um, I think for a lot of young people, they they come into the community, but they don't invest themselves completely into it. And I'm pleased to say that there were about uh, four uh, students that decided to go all in for Jesus and take that mm-hmm. next step in baptism. And, you know, it's just encouraging to me that there's fruit in that ministry. And we look forward that's to That's exciting. Can we give a round students. of applause for that? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the invitation. The invitation is to invite people to know and to follow after Jesus. Uh, discipleship is not some obscure, uh, hard thing to figure out. It's invite people to know and to follow after Jesus. Um, and you guys have been doing that. I'm proud of you. Um, we're not going to leave you alone. So we've got uh, some adults here in our church, uh, some other adults in our church, uh, Matt and Carrie and Hanson family in our church that want to uh, invest and join the team. And so, um, Cameron, just speak to a moment on the importance that you see uh, and Miles that you guys see of, of bringing on more adults uh, because this, uh, this North Valley student ministry is just getting going. And so, t- speak to that for a moment. Well, I would say for some young bucks like me and Miles, we, we definitely need your wisdom and we cannot do this alone. We need you guys to link arms with us because... The truth is, an army doesn't go out to battle alone. An army goes out to, be- to battle linked together, and we need your help. So that's just the simple answer is that we cannot do this alone. So we invite you, if you feel uh, God stirring your heart to be involved, we'd love to talk to you. And then even today, what can people do today uh, to get connected? Say their heart is being prompted. I, I think I would like to be a part of just exploring how to be a part of helping North Valley student ministries get going. I would say that um, after the service, Miles and I and uh, Matt, we're going to be under that Ramada out there, and we'd love to just get to know you. Uh, feel free to approach us, introduce yourself, let us know what your heart is in ministry. Let us know uh, where your heart's at with the youth, and we can go from there. And students too, right? We can grab yeah. if, if student leaders, guys and gals that say, hey, I, I would love to be a part of really investing into this uh, 
new, this new ministry, and I want to have a significant influence on it because we're just getting started here at North Valley. I mean, I'm talking about this is the first annual budget that we've had on this campus. This is the first season of ministry we've had here. The weather's getting better. We're going to be doing a lot more fun, relational, recreational things on the campus. I think next week we're having a potluck. Uh, some youth are gathering today to play volleyball. In the, in the coming weeks, we're going to do a lot more uh, outreach uh, in connecting, and especially we, we've got to invest in this younger generation. And these guys need a bigger team. And so if God's prompting on your heart to be a part of that at some level, we want to encourage you to connect with them today. We've got to be relationally uh, working together and praying together. Um, if we're going to have a future, we've got to reach a younger generation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for these guys, and, um, and then we'll continue in our worship. Heavenly Father, I give you great thanks uh, for Miles and Cameron, um, for Angie and Brittany, Lord, who have teamed up together, and now Matt and Carrie Ann, who've answered to the call and said, hey, We'll invest into the next generation. We want to see the North Valley come to faith in Christ and grow together in, uh, as a church family. Um, Lord, awaken the hearts of members and attenders here today uh, to just accept an invitation and come and see uh, what you're doing. And Lord, we want to do a great deal of good and because we love you and we know that your grace is frees us. Your grace saves us. Your grace sustains us. Uh, Lord, and your grace leads us to invite others in. So we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the style of ministry patterned in your life, Jesus, relational, connected, and the disciples following that. We pray that we would too as a church in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Let's give them another round of applause for joining us. Good job, bro. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.